0: So how can you get your teenage son with ADHD to understand the importance of taking medication?
1: I have ADHD and so does my child. One of my biggest challenges is keeping a consistent household. Uh, Consistent routines, consistent rules, any ideas to help. I have a high energy three-year-old granddaughter. When I
0: see all the different things she does, she appears ADHD to me, but... And that's what it was verbatim. ADHD Rewired, episode 178. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part. So let's get started, but first let me tell you about this. Turn good intention into amazing actions with the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. This virtual video-based group coaching program meets three times a week. Improve your productivity, develop better habits, experience the true power of supportive accountability from members of our own tribe. Learn, grow, and connect. Learn more at ADHDrewired.com. I hope to see you there at ADHDrewired.com and prepare to get your ADHD rewired. Hey everyone, if you are new to the podcast, I want to welcome you and uh, I want you to know that ADHD Rewired really is more than just a podcast. We really are a community. One part of our community is we have a secret Facebook group and if you want to join that, head on over to erictivers.com slash community to fill out our member application because we screen everybody who joins us. Now, if this is your first episode, I want you to know that every month we do a live Q&A where you can ask me questions, and this episode is a recording of one of our live monthly Q&As that we do every month. So it typically, last month's live Q&A would be this month's live Q&A episode. But not this month. Today, you'll be hearing June's episode. Now, I could tell you that this is because I didn't release a QA and a episode in July, which is true, but the real reason you're hearing June's Q&A today is I actually can't find it. I think I have an idea where it is, but I'm not there, so what you're going to hear is June's Q&A. And um, if you do like what we're doing here at ADHD Rewired, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It really does help. And uh, if you love what we're doing here, support us with a financial gift at Patreon over at patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. Your gift comes with uh, perks at the $5 a month level. And uh, you can go check out more at the website. Uh, This website for the show is ADHDrewired.com, and we are getting ready to launch our brand new website at the same address, Uh, so possibly in the next week. Um, one last thing, if you are catching this before 1230 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday, August 8th, the day it came out, join us today for our monthly live Q&A. You can register at erictiverscom slash events. I invited Brendan Mahan back to co-host this one with me. So, all right, that's all I got for you. Let's get on with episode 178. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today is our monthly live Q&A. This Q&A was recorded on June 13th. I have with me a special guest a co-host returning to the podcast for now the third time, Brendan Mahan. Um, Brendan, I just now realized I didn't prepare any sort of bio or introduction for you, so Brendan, introduce yourself.
1: Uh, that's easy. Um, so uh, my name is Brendan Mahan. I'm an ADHD coach and speaker. Um, I've also spent time as a teacher and a mental health clinician. I'm a special ed teacher at the moment. That's kind of my deal. I have ADHD, so I get it from the inside out. But I also have a master's in school guidance, counseling and education. So I get it from the teaching perspective, too. And all of my coaching work lets me see it in people's houses, and their homes and all that kind of stuff. So lots of angles on ADHD for me. So, and I
0: have known Brendan for it's over a year, uh, maybe. We are officially two
1: year friends I saw on that. Facebook I saw today.
0: That. We are <laughs> our friendiversary just showed up on uh, I that. That was really cool that we are doing this together. Uh, so Brendan and I first met, uh, he was a member of the uh, the ADSE Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. And um, there was a, uh, a a session where you were sort of talking about your, uh, what you later came on the podcast to talk about was your wall of all Awful. I right. thought that maybe we could start there really briefly because just if I if I didn't say so already. So this episode of the Q&A, which we do uh, every month, um, we are talking about kids and parenting, which is not something that we typically do here. Um, don't worry, most of uh, this podcast will still remain for uh, adults and focused on adults. But, you know, we are trying something different because, uh, well, who doesn't like novelty?
1: I do. I'm a fan of novels. Yeah, I love it. I, I love read a it. lot. <laughs> <laughs> grown. I liked it. Man. I liked it. No puns. We're not allowed to oh, have I puns. I love puns. I, I absolutely <laughs> love
0: puns. So um, what's the wall of awful and how does it apply for parenting?
1: So the wall of awful is a model. Um, it's really a trauma model. It's, it's grown a lot since I was first on the podcast. Okay. Started off as a model to explain to parents why their kids didn't want to do their homework. Really, that was where it started. And it's grown significantly since then. And the gist of it is that the wall of awful is the emotional barrier that prevents us from taking risks and initiating tasks. So we grow a wall of awful. We build a wall of awful every time that we fail. Because with ADHD, we fail more than others. And we tend to fail in the same ways. Not that every ADHD person fails in the same way, but the way that you fail is usually something that comes up a lot, usually something that happens fairly often. It could be something as basic as you always forget to do the dishes. It could be something as complicated as losing weight, right? So the wall of awful is how I explain that, which every time you fail, you get a brick in your wall, you get a failure brick. Along with the failure brick, you get a disappointment brick because you disappointed yourself. Along with that disappointment brick for yourself, you get one for Anyone whose opinion in your life matters around that failure. So you get multiple disappointment bricks. Disappointment bricks lead to rejection bricks. And then we get things like guilt and shame and depression and those sorts of things. And in order to initiate that task, maybe it's going to the gym, you have to manage that wall of awful And in order to get to go to the gym. And it leads to conflict because of the unhealthy ways that people try to get past it. I don't know
0: how deep you want me to go. Yeah, so w- one of the things that a uh, question that that um, uh, or at least a relevant point for parenting that that came uh, as you were as you were uh, talking about that is you know I know for me as an adult and even when I was a kid my favorite question was always why right yep like why yes. I to do that and it's and it's you know for for if you're a parent and your kids asking you that it's a really I think effective strategy to take always take the approach even if you think your kids just challenging you. Always assume that they are just looking for information, because mm-hmm. sometimes they will actually just be looking for information, and you right. can easily redirect a a what would be could be an argument into a discussion, right? But on the flip side of that, when we talk about when you when you uh, said the the uh, the bricks in the wall, when we talk about sort of of, of shame from people who uh, who care about us, I think one of a question that, as as parents, we really need to sort of pause and and um, be careful about asking our kids is why did you do that? Because if your kid has issues with impulsivity or even just distractibility and attention, they did something sort of mindlessly and they weren't thinking about it. And they respond. I mean, so if what's a typical response for them? if if, you, if a parent asks their kid why'd you do that?
1: Because I felt like it, those are not uncommon. Um, sometimes it just turns into a fight. The kid might storm off, and a lot of that come gets down to tone, right? Which is a, probably a good thing to go into with parenting, because why did you do that? Is very different. From why did you do that? Totally, totally. I mean,
0: there's that judgment there, right? Right. And, but I think the problem if we're, if we were playing family feud, I think that the number one answer that kids respond to their parents when asked, "Why did you do that?" The number one answer is, "I don't know."
1: Yeah, that's true. That's another one.
0: And I think it's so important that we honor the "I don't know" answer because think about it. if we respond by saying... Well, I don't know, isn't an answer when it really actually is their truth. What are we now doing? We are encouraging kids to lie. Because right. it's like, Okay, how how am I going to get out of this really uncomfortable situation? Let me tap into my creativity. And now that I have the cortisol rushing through my body, I'm now stimulated and I'm going to make up some story that I will probably not be caught. So now not only am I impulsive and did something I don't know why I did. Now I'm also uh, called a liar because I was trying to to make up some excuse because
1: I couldn't explain why I did that thing that I just did um,
0: because there was no good reason.
1: And can we dig in on lying for a minute? Is that okay? Yeah. So because th- this comes up all the time, it's one of and my... we will get to your questions in one of just my, a moment, just so everyone knows. Absolutely. Lying is one of my... Um, I don't know that a pet peeve is the right word. It's one of my things that I'm passionate about. You're passionate about we have a, I am about yeah. understanding it, right? Because we have a really weird relationship around lying in mm-hmm. this country and probably the world, but my experience is, is America. Where we will simultaneously tell kids it's okay to lie and also that it's not, a, not okay to lie because we don't differentiate the types of lying, right? Because if mom comes down the stairs and says, does this dress make me look fat? There's a correct answer to that question. And it's no, you're not supposed to say, no, you're just a giant hippo. Like that's not, you don't, you don't do that. And you also don't say, yes, it does make you look fat. You're supposed to say, no, you look lovely. And there's lots of scenarios where it's okay. And even expected to lie But then we tell kids it's not okay. It's never okay. It's a sin. We're not supposed to. When really, the situation where we're not supposed to lie is when it's going to cover up a problem. We don't want to have a lie that's going to cover up a problem because then the problem grows and festers and gets worse. And that's the scenario where lying is not okay. And that's also a scenario where probably 50 to 75% of lying happens, right? But we don't make that clear for most kids. And the challenge there is that I need you to tell me the truth. And I don't need you to tell me the truth because I want to catch you in a lie. And I don't need you to tell me the truth because it's bad to lie and I don't want you to sin or anything like that. I need you to tell me the truth so that I solve the right problem. Speaking right? of that. So I, this would come up, when, especially as a teacher, this came up a lot, right? Where you've got a kid doing their homework or theoretically doing their homework. And you're going through the class. You're checking who's got their homework, who doesn't. And this one kid doesn't have their homework. This is the third time. It's probably the second day. I know that doesn't math. Math doesn't work, but it still happens, right? So you bring the kid out in the hall. I bring the kid out in the hallway and I would say to them, what's going on? Why don't you have your homework? And they would be ready to go. And I know what they're going to say. They're going to say they forgot it because that's what every kid says because there's less shame in forgetting to bring it home than there is in not doing it, right? So before they get to say that even, I would stop them and I would say, I need you to tell me the truth because there's probably two answers to this question. Either you left it at home or you didn't do it. Those are the two most common I hear. I need you to tell me which of those is true. because And maybe it's something else. That's okay. I'm open to there being other possibilities, but I need you to tell me the truth because if you tell me you left it at home and the truth is that you didn't do it, I'm going to help you solve the wrong problem. Mm. And then you're still not going to have your homework tomorrow.
0: So you're giving the why when you're helping solve the problem right off the bat before you even give the the kid the opportunity to to, you know, dig themselves the hole.
1: Right. And the reason for that is because I want those kids to know that I'm a safe person to talk to. And I want them to feel secure in answering my questions honestly and knowing that I'm not here to burn you with the truth. I'm here to help you with the truth.
0: Mm. It's an important distinction. It's uh it's that idea of like separating judgment versus curiosity. Like you're, you're viewing it from a very mindful perspective of being curious to, to explore what the, what the solutions are. Right. Like that. Yeah. Let's tend, uh, do a question here. Um, just because I think it's funny. Uh, my friend, uh, Kim, uh, um, I'm just going to read his question verbatim. I have a, uh, a high energy three-year-old granddaughter. When I see all the different things she does, she appears ADHD to me, but. And that what it, <laughs> that's what it was verbatim. So I'm not really sure what the, where the question is. But there was another question about uh, age of diagnosis. Uh, what is the appropriate timing? Uh, this comes from uh, VJ. What is the appropriate timing for
1: diagnosing children? Three is really young, right? Like it, ADHD is a developmental disorder. So. You don't want to diagnose that soon because they, they could have just not developed those emotional regulation and, and and working memory and things. And they're not supposed to have developed and I think those the,
0: the three year old uh, uh, granddaughter and this two separate questions. Right. I think so. Yeah, you know, it is. Um, so, yeah, three would be uh, young. Um, however, I do know um, that at, at three, if, if there is concern, like. Kids who get an accurate diagnosis at three or four years old usually have, um, this is not a clinical term, but raging ADHD. Right. Like, Absolutely. Like where it is, like they're unsafe. They are, they're, they're climbing the water tower, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it, where they're really being like highly impulsive uh, and where it's dangerous. That's typically where you're seeing the... Uh, um, a, an accurate diagnosis. I know that that developmental pediatricians um, who sort of know their stuff um, If they see concern will probably put something in their file like you know to, to watch
1: this right, right um, Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to avoid going to your pediatrician, but you also don't want to Predetermine that your kid has ADHD when they're three years old and a little energetic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I mean get a, ask the question, but don't overreact
0: Right, and you know, and even if uh, let's say they're they're five and and they, uh, they do have the the diagnosis, the uh, evidence based sort of uh, treatment for that at five years old is behavioral therapy. And, and when we talk about behavioral therapy, what we're really talking about is behavioral training for parents. Right, right. It's not just. The, the the behavioral therapy for the kids because it's the parents have to to be the the ones that I you know when I'm when I was working with families and um, doing more sort of behavioral based therapy you know, I basically would tell families like you're part of the session because I like I can get him to behave fine in my office like we'll set up a couple of contingencies I'll find out what his motivation <laughs> is and he's going to do what I want him to do like a ch- like like a champ right like I can get that done in two or three sessions right but he have to go home with him. So I got to, you know, help the parent become the sort of the the, the teacher therapist. Um, And that it can be more challenging when the
1: parent also has ADHD. Right. And the parents have to know what you did and why you did it, Mm -hmm. right? Because they can just sit there and watch you all day long. But if they don't know why you made those choices or why you said those things, if they're not picking up on that tone that we talked about earlier and they're saying the same things, but their tone is different and it's not working because their tone is wrong or their body language is different, they're not going to be able to make the same changes and have and help their kid progress in the same way. So they really need to be able to understand all of that nuance that exists within the world of ADHD and interacting with your kids. And so you have to train the parents. And like you were saying, when the parent also has ADHD, not only does that Bring into question whether or not they understand ADHD and are they letting their ADHD bleed, like sort of affect their kids' ADHD? But also, are they managing the emotions that come up for them when their kid does something? Because some parents, it doesn't phase them, but other parents, when their kid runs and climbs up the tree and gets stuck, that reminds them of the time they were stuck up a tree. And now they're scared, not just for their kid, but also for seven-year-old them. Hmm. And they're over-responding to their kid stuck up a tree. Hmm.
0: I remember climbing up the, the jungle gym for equipment <laughs> and then I couldn't get down and I was scared up there. That's just where my mind went when he went there. <laughs> so, um, and when I'm working with parents too, if I, if I um, you know, I I take the uh, sort of the approach of not do mom uh, or dad have it. It's usually like which one. And then after like, you know, sort of proves to myself that okay, no, maybe they don't have it, but most often, more often than not, uh, one of the parents do, does have it. And it, so, if you have ADHD as a parent and you are trying to help uh, your your child or children, I think that analogy of uh, the oxygen mask on the airplane really is relevant here because we have to be managing your own ADHD uh, to the best that you can, so you can help your child with their ADHD. And, you know, and part of that is going to be having, you know, conversations about, about imperfection, about, you know, learning from our own mistakes. Because I know, I mean, ADHD affects me as a parent. How about you? Oh, absolutely. How does it affect you? Um,
1: remembering is a big component of it, right? Like, I don't always remember the things that my kids ask me. So a good example is last night, right? Gavin's like, dad, can I have frozen blueberries? Sure thing. It's in the freezer. He can't reach it, right? Like, that's cool. But I had to do something else first. So I did that other thing. And then Nate comes over and he's like, dad, I don't even remember what it was that he said. But now I'm over with Nate. Gavin, at this point, has been waiting for 20 minutes for frozen blueberries because I completely forgot that that was a thing, right? And he's like, now can I have frozen blueberries? I'm like, oh, sorry, bud. Yeah, here, let me go get them or remembering to do like chores, right? Like they need clothes that are clean and they can't clean them. And that's, that's on me. Like that's my job is to make sure that their clothes are clean. Um, Cause we don't want to send them to school smelly and have people think that we're neglectful. So I literally like take their hamper and put it in front of the stairway to the basement so that I can't go downstairs without knocking it over or picking it up. And since it would be a bad idea to knock it over, I just pick it up and bring it downstairs and do, do the laundry. But I need to have these big reminders. Like, mm-hmm. that's a big reminder. That's not a small, like, oh, I'll well, just have a sticky note. Like, that's, it, I can't go downstairs without grabbing this basket. Um. So that's a big one, is just remembering all the things I have to do.
0: Um, for me, one of the, probably my most difficult sort of ADHD related uh, uh, challenge with, with parenting is just shifting my like where my sort of head is like what between work mode and home mode and that's that can be really challenging for me i know that i um like i work late most nights um and you know no matter how often i i say is going to be the day or i'm going to go home and spend some time with uh uh my son i um i often don't um and i i um, and I do have shame around that. It's uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a it is a battle. Uh, it's it's challenging for me. Now I do spend time with them in the morning, but I even know even then, like, cause the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I look at my calendar, um, and and my to do list. And my brain is sort to start thinking about all right, here are the things that that I have uh, going on uh, during the day. Um, and I mean I'm, I'm I'm not what you would call a morning person.
1: Um, <laughs> so I get up uh, at five thirty every morning. Do so. you really? <laughs> I work in a high school. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I go to bed at 9, 930.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I like, have ne- like you never respond to my, my texts when they're after like a certain time. I'm probably um, sleeping, which is, pretty, which is pretty impressive.
1: Cause um, you're like an hour still earlier. So yeah, I'm like, it's 830 to you and I'm asleep <laughs> or at least trying to be asleep. Okay. Let's, let's ans- um, answer. Can I jump to questions? one that's connected to what we were just talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. All right, so uh, I'm doing Marisol Hall right here. I have ADHD and so does my child. One of my biggest challenges is keeping a consistent household, Uh, consistent routines, consistent rules, any ideas to help. So one of the things, I mentioned the laundry, right? We recently enacted a chores chart in my house. It's outside my boy's room, so they see it when they come out. Um, And one of the challenges that we've been having as a family around that is that my wife is ridiculously consistent. If like she's doing stuff anyway, if you put it on a chart, like it's locked in and happening no matter what. Right. And she wants that same expectation for me and her two, eight year old sons. And it, it doesn't matter if they have ADHD or not. They're eight, like they're developmentally, they're going to mess up and forget. Mm -hmm. And their stuff is really small. It's like, pick up any books that are on the floor and pick up clothes and just go around the house and make sure there's no clutter sort of thing. My stuff is bigger, right? Do dishes, mop the floor, do the laundry, those kinds of things. Um, And we haven't been perfect about it. So it's – and my wife sort of on her own, I didn't have to address it, um, but on her own sort of realized that the expectations need – the expectations can't be perfection. It just needs to be better. And we're in a position right now where things are in fact better. And so we're two or three weeks in. We've gotten much more household work done. It, there has not been a single week where everything has been done on the day it was supposed to be done. And some of that is scheduling. I like think
0: that a lot of that is really normal.
1: Absolutely it is. Right. Absolutely. Um, but giving yourself that leeway of, yes, consistency, that matters. You want to get to consistent. You want to get to the point where you are, in fact, cleaning the den every Tuesday. That should happen. Going
0: back to uh, the idea of theming uh, from my, my conversation with uh, Alan Brown, um, which uh, um, I can't tell you what episode it was, but if you just uh, go on though. the Google and go ADHD rewired Alan Brown, and you'll find the episode on theming. Yeah. Um, you know, but one other uh, thing about this, too, is is the inconsistency coming from a challenge with with activation, or is it a challenge of memory? And so I think it's really important to sort of look at like where is the where is that stemming from? Because there's there's a lot of different reasons that that right. uh, could be driving that inconsistency. You know, it's sort of like the uh, um, the laundry. Like, do we ever feel like doing laundry? Like, I mean, some people like it. Um, you know, I we have a neighbor who says she loves doing dishes. She finds it relaxing. So I've
1: invited her to come over and relax anytime she wants to. <laughs> and that that's where I. Where I was going next, right, is that sign outside the boys' room is that's your memory trigger, right? It's also activation. It's both because it's there to remind you to do it, and it's also right outside their door, so they're more likely to see it and be like, oh, I need to go do this thing. And I know that they'll then activate me because they're going to be like, dad, you have to do this. And I'll be like, all right, thank you for reminding me. And so I get my memory and my activation because I don't want to look like a chump in front of my eight-year-old's Right. So, okay, let me go mop the floor um, or have a really good reason why I'm not mopping the floor.
0: <laughs> and, now, do you include your kids uh, in in the chores and that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, that's I mean, that's building accountability for them. It sort of depends on the chores, right? Like we now have this consistent list where we're expecting them to do these smaller chores all the time. Other things like clean your plate and all that kind of stuff, sort of clean up after yourself is, expe- is expected. Mm-hmm. But the next step up is like clean your room every i think it's every saturday so they have enough time because they also have like other stuff they have to do so it can't be like here's a big project um and their room is a big project right after they're done cleaning it so it's yeah it's terrible but having them do that and then and outside yard work and raking of leaves and shoveling of snow and all that kind of stuff those bigger activities Mm -hmm. we give them a little extra motivator so i'm usually like you can earn up to three dollars or up to five dollars if you help me with raking the entire yard, right, and then I'll sort of judge how much
0: how much did you do? And, and let me ask. So do you, now, do you know that you are, uh, your your kids are motivated by earning money?
1: Super motivated. By okay, it. and
0: that's a really important thing because it's um, if if using external sort of uh, extri- uh, extrinsic rewards, just because you think it's rewarding doesn't mean it's actually rewarding. Right. And like, right. What, what's rewarding for your kid? Today might not be rewarding tomorrow. So having sort of mm-hmm. that menu of things you can choose from at any time can be helpful. I know for, uh, with, with uh, my son, my wife and I share a, an app that syncs together uh, called ChorePad, and we basically use it for behavior. And uh, and so he can earn screen time. Uh, we use this called a cost response uh, system, which is um, it's basically it's the same. You can earn or you can lose uh, depending mm-hmm. on like the, the behavior. Now, I typically recommend starting with just positive reinforcement and using sort of planned ignoring. Um, for our son, it it, um, it it works. It's been more effective uh, to do that sort of cost response, mm-hmm. um, and it's nice because I we can you know. We're always on the same page because this app sort of syncs uh, together.
1: That's cool. That's um, a good, and that's like a sort of different angle to use that app with.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Now, I'm supposed to be talking with um, um, Richard something or another, sorry, Richard, um, who is creating a uh, an app called I Got This. It's in beta uh, right now got some really cool sort of features that are going to allow for this and we're going to have them on in a few weeks um so definitely look for uh, look for that uh coming up uh in the next month or so um or by the time you listen to this if it's on the podcast um maybe next week it's that, it's that space time continuum on podcasting or just always <laughs> like whoa we're in the future all right so I hope that uh, answered your question, Marisol. Um, let me click that answered live. Uh, one, just one final thing on that particular question, though: is don't focus on everything. Like focus on like one, maybe two things at a time, right. and also engage your kid in uh, in the, what the challenge is. Don't just like start doing something different without having a conversation with your kid about it, because they're going to be like,
1: whatever, mom. And that's later. what. That's what we did. We had a whole family meeting at the table and I was like, guys, what, what kind of chores do we need done? What do you feel like you can do? Mm -hmm. Because we want to pick, we want to give to our kids chores and and household duties and things that they feel like they can accomplish. And then we can level it up and move up to the more difficult things later, but start where what, with what they can do. And now there's buy-in and they're more motivated. There's that activation stuff and that memory they're more motivated to remember it, and they're more motivated to do it because they were part of the process of determining what it's going to be.
0: And, and you made a comment there about um, uh, like having them feel like successful with it, right? And it, so there's a this idea of what's called scaffolding, also referred to as be backwards chaining.
1: <laughs> I was where, doing that in my head.
0: <laughs> so, like, so let's say your your kids have you want your kid to start say cleaning their room. So first of all, if you're parents and your kid has a disastrous room, like if you want to know a way to shut your kid down and make them completely overwhelmed is tell them to go clean the room, right? Like starting with, all right, go pick up the, the sweatshirt that's on the, the floor. Like start with one thing, but what, one of the things you can do is to kind of get that buy-in with, with reinforcement and sort of using that, that idea of scaffolding, maybe begin the, the process with them and then sort of focus on rewarding the finishing. So you're sort of bringing them near completion And then they have to to do the the final steps of that. And that's what you could reward.
1: And an alternative model for cleaning the room, right, is I, this is what I use with my clients because it makes, I get more buy-in from my kids, Yeah, is I tell the parents, right? And so I'm telling your parents right now, clean the room to your specifications, right? So you clean the whole room to what you want it to be. Then take a picture of each wall, right? And post it on the wall, either in a temporary way or permanently, depending on your kid and how that's going to go, right? And now when the room needs to be cleaned, you can say, make it look like that wall. It's another way to chunk, right? It doesn't have to be everything. You can pick one wall, say, make the room look like that wall, which you're going to wind up getting like half the room about. Um, But they're only doing one wall, so it feels like it's only a quarter. (laughs) And and, And so they clean it.
0: That's sort of the equivalent of a like a matching or multiple choice test versus a essay. You know, essay right. is go clean your room. It's like, uh, yep. you know, it's like, make it look like this. That's, you know, right. Yeah. Um, and by the way, that works for adults too.
1: It does. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can even, you, you can break it down smaller and have like bookshelves, right? Like this shelf looks like this, this drawer looks like this. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, part of this, you know, both
0: for us adults and kids that we, you know, overwhelm is such a core part of ADHD. Right, mm-hmm. so the idea of breaking it down, right? So one of the the things you'll get resistance from from kids is if something is too big, and they're overwhelmed. But like kids don't often have the language to say I'm overwhelmed by this task. What they just say is no, or mm-hmm. you know I, I don't want to. Or you can't make me, or you know whatever, uh, whatever it is, or they go with every intention to go clean their room, but now they're playing with the the stuff that's on the floor instead of cleaning their room. Right. So there's, there's a lot of sort of issues there. Um, also helping kids get started. Um, don't just send their your kids to your room, uh, to the room to clean on their own. Like hang out with them for a few minutes, wait for them to sort to get started and then check in on them every couple minutes uh, mm-hmm. to help
1: them be successful. And this is a little tangential, but connected, right? Another thing to do is to, Pay attention to the problem, right? Like often kids see a problem one way and adults see a problem a different way. You so have true. to manage that, right? Like my kids played, they called it light, uh, the game of life cheaters edition. Cause they just played life completely wrong and basically did whatever they wanted. <laughs> but, and then the two of them and I had to go out for the day. We had to go to a farm and do cub scout stuff, but they weren't done right? And I was like, Amy's going to come out here and she's going to see life all over the floor. It's like nine o'clock in the morning because we wake up early in my house. So they would already been playing for two hours and I'm like, and she's going to clean it up and they're going to come home and melt down because their game is gone, but she's going to see it as a mess. Cause it really looked like a mess, but it made sense to them. And so I sent her a text that was like, the boys will finish playing life and clean it up when we get home. Just leave it there. I'm like, and I moved stuff over enough that her friend could get through the room to get into the house. <laughs> uh, She's And she was fine with it because I told her, right? Cause otherwise she would not have seen that problem the same way.
0: With trying to problem solve uh, with our kids, there's a, uh, um, a really, really good book that, um, I think it's probably to me is one of the most recommended books for, for parents of, of kids. And that's, uh, the explosive child by Dr. Ross green. Um, and I think that's a great book that, even if it's like for your spouse, because the 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 concepts of it are, it's about collaborative problem solving. So right. you had mentioned something about uh, earlier when you were talking about, you know, bringing the kid into the hallway and, you know, sort of instead of just assuming we know what the problem is and then solving the problem, but we didn't solve the problem because we didn't have the right problem to begin with, right? right. So this whole process is sort of identifying the, uh, a what he refers to as a lagging skill and inviting the kid to, to sort of, be a a big part of identifying the problem and uh, coming up with, with possible solutions. And then one of the most important pieces to that is, um, is the evaluation of how did what we tried, uh, how did that work? You know, so it's not just, all right, well, these things don't work. It's let's try this for a few days. And it's have a planned meeting to check back in with each other to see how it's going. Cause most solutions that work are revisions of prior solutions to solve that problem. Right. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Ross Green's work is awesome.
0: You know, he got sued because apparently um, collaborative problem solving is something that is like a legal thing that lawyers do. Yeah. And so lawyers like, like sued him and he had to use a different term. That's why
1: that book is not around really anymore. Cause he had a book called collaborative problem solving. Maybe that one of my professors was like, this book is great, but I can't find it anywhere. That's probably why it's really
0: annoying. When I I heard that, it's like, Oh, you know what? Anyways, um, what we're going to do here for the podcast is we are going to take a quick break. And, uh, and when we come back, um, we have a question, uh, Actually two questions from from uh, VJ one of them is about uh, video games and TV. We have questions about uh, uh, Summer and structure and how to sort of uh, structure uh, your kids schedule um, So we will get to that and other questions when you come back You know two of my favorite content creators are jessica mccabe of how to adhd on youtube and Drew Ackerman, also known as Scooter from the Sleep With Me podcast. Jessica is doing amazing things for the ADHD community, and my three-part series that I did with her on her show has helped many of you discover this podcast. And Scooter puts me to sleep almost every night with his soothing, rambling, tangential stories. And I value each of these creators dearly, which is why I'm proud to support them. On Patreon, if you value ADHD Rewired, it would mean the world to me. If you showed your support by becoming a patron, consider giving a gift of just five dollars a month, and you'll get access to some really cool perks. You can check it out at Patreon.com/slash ADHD Rewired. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash ADHD rewired. Thanks. And we are back. Were you just about to do something?
1: I held a little Batman action figure up. You're for such a nerd. I love people it. watching. Yeah, I'm. I'm more geek than nerd, but yeah. What's the but difference? Geeks. In my mind, it's a math and science versus English and social studies divide. Oh, interesting. I, I could see that. I don't know that I'm right about that, but that's sort of how it breaks down for me. Let's,
0: let's not go that. I really want, like, that, that rabbit hole is totally pulling me, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to resist. Yay Adderall. Okay. Um, so before we get into the next questions, for those of you who, uh, you know, have listened to me before, who are not into the podcast, um, know, um, that one of my, I guess, Favorite unofficial mentors is Brene Brown. Um, you know, just her works have been very influential uh, for me. And she has, she wrote something in her book, um, uh, Daring Greatly, called uh, The Wholehearted Parenting Manifesto. And uh, I want to read this. I just think it's so, so powerful. Um, and uh, and while I'm reading that, Brendan's going to queue up the next uh, question or two. This is The Wholehearted Parenting Manifesto by Brene Brown. Above all else, I want you to know that you are loved and lovable. You will learn this from my words and actions. The lessons on love are in how I treat you and how I treat myself. I want to engage with with the world from a place of worthiness. You will learn that you are worthy of love, belonging, and joy. Every time you see me practice self-compassion, and embrace my own imperfections. We will practice courage in our family by showing up, letting ourselves be seen, and honoring vulnerability. We will share our stories of struggle and strength. There will be room in our home for both. We will teach you compassion by practicing compassion with ourselves first, then with each other. We will set and respect boundaries. We will honor hard work, hope, and perseverance. Rest and play will be family values as well as family practices. You will learn accountability and respect by watching me make mistakes and amends and by watching how I ask for what I need and talk about how I feel. I want you to know joy, so together we will practice gratitude. I want you to feel joy, so together we will learn how to be vulnerable. When uncertainty and scarcity visit, you will be able to draw from the spirit that is part of our everyday life. Together, we will cry and face fear and grief. I will want to take away your pain, but instead, I will sit with you and teach you how to feel it. We will laugh and sing and dance and create. We will always have permission to be ourselves with each other, no matter what. You will always belong here. As you begin your wholehearted journey, the greatest gift that I can give to you is to live and love with my whole heart and to dare greatly. I will not teach or love or show you anything perfectly but I will let you see me and I will always hold sacred the gift of seeing you truly deeply seeing you. You Yeah. Goosebumps reading that. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm going to go get my kids now.
0: (laughs) Right. It's, it's, you know, so you can get that it's um if you do a uh, just a Google search for um, daring greatly parenting manifesto uh, it's available as a uh, as a PDF and uh, you know, I I think what's so just impactful about that is that it's this idea of like of of daring greatly of we're not it's not about being perfect because we know that that's you know not even an achievable or desirable uh, outcome it's about vulnerability and authenticity it's about showing your kids how to make mistakes how to learn from them and how to make amends and um i'll I'll share a quick story then we'll get into um questions so it was about maybe about a year ago i this is probably one of my most non-proud daddy moments i'm not a yeller i i am not a yeller at all like i just i just don't yell um and um, there, there was a morning, I think it was at like maybe a quarter to five or five in the morning. Um, and my son's always been a very, very early riser. And my uh, son was having a meltdown over something right in the hallway outside my bedroom. And um, did I mention I'm not a morning person? Um, so I, um, I opened my door and uh, yelled, if you want to have a meltdown, go do it somewhere else. And I closed the door and I went back to bed. And when I woke up and I realized, oh man, like the first thing that I did was I went downstairs and I apologized uh, to my son for doing that. I explained that, you know, why I felt that way, but I also explained that I didn't handle that correctly. Um, And uh, even still when I, uh, when I, uh, um, Think about that, um, you know, and I think it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes and to tell your kids that you, you made a mistake. You know, it's like if we don't show our kids how to make mistakes, how are they gonna know how to make mistakes?
1: Right, and then you so often ask your kids to apologize for stuff, but if you never apologize to them when you mess up, why would they, like, what's the message? You know, you're doing one thing, but saying something else, That's Right. and you've gotta be consistent. That's right. Um. So it looks like summer and structure is a is a desirable question. It's come up twice now. Okay. Um, so let's ha- let's attack that. Did I mention I was a summer camp counselor? You are currently, a, or you were? I was at a one time as, in my life. As as was I, and and a teacher. So summer scheduling summer is not that hard for me. Um, but so one of the mentions with inconsistent scheduling, and I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know if that means that every week is different. Or if it means that every day is different. And this is where that theming comes in, right? If you've got Monday is one thing, Tuesday is something else, Wednesday is something else, you can theme those days so that it's a pattern, right? And theoretically, you could theme a week as well, but it becomes less obvious as a pattern. But if things are wildly inconsistent, you can still build in consistency. You can, every night, we're going to read before we go to bed. And we're going to do our math flashcards, At lunch or in the morning or whatever, like you can build in daily rituals that create consistency, even though you don't have the same level of consistency that you would have at school. You can still set it up so that in the morning we always do this. And in the evenings, this is always going to happen. And sure, sometimes it's going to get nuked. That's part of what is fun about summer and you need to be open to that. But keeping that consistency in small doses as often as possible is is a good plan. And small, even even weekly rituals of like maybe you make pancakes every Saturday, and that's going to build in some some structure for your kid. Don't drop the expectations around chores, like we've already talked about. Maybe or increase sleep. them, or sleep. Absolutely, yeah, good good point. Um, or and eating, don't you don't want to nuke the eating stuff either. Um, yeah, you're going to probably go to more barbecues and eat more than you ordinarily would, but you know, pay attention to what it is that you're eating
0: and and how um, kids respond to different kinds of food. You know, right. one of the things that, that comes to mind too is if you, if we think about if so if you're a, if you uh, stay at home as a parent, and uh, which by the way I think is the hardest job, like it's like my you know, my wife uh, was able to stay at home uh, with with my son, and uh, it's like if my if my wife has to like go somewhere during the weekend, so I like I'm with my son the entire day. I have so much more appreciation for what my wife does every day, because um, it is—it's—it's it's hard. It's, um, mm-hmm. and I think part of what's hard is sometimes it's sort of that mundane, like doing the same thing each day, and um, and when you have ADSG, that could be really hard. But I also think the reward is in how your your kid sort of responds uh, to it. Um, but if you're thinking about the idea of planning a summer, like that's a project, right? Um, and so, you know, taking even just like a blank calendar template and invite your kids to have input, like what kinds of things do you want to do this summer? Let's, let's get it on the the schedule on the calendar for like when we're going to do sort of those special events, when we're going to do, um, you know, go see the movie, when we're going to rent the movie, when we're like, and so we just have this like a fun sort of brainstorming idea of like all the, the fun things and the things we want to do during this, um, uh, during the summer. Um, and then start to sort of. Put it together, sort of like a puzzle, mm-hmm. um, and then you could also teach then your your kids sort of the value of a schedule is a tool that you can use. So if something changes, that's the tool that you use to like understand that change, right? right. So like you were planning on going to uh, the the amusement park, and but it's storming out. So let's take a look at where where's the next day where we can actually put that that thing that your kid was looking forward to.
1: Right. And in advance saying like rain is a good example, right? Like, all right, guys or girls, I have boys. So I tend to say guys, all right, what are, what are we going to do if it rains? Like, what are some, what are our plans if it rains and we can't do this other stuff, right? Like, oh, we can play Legos and we can color and we can do all this stuff. Like, here's all ideas. And maybe you get a box and you put those ideas in that box. Even if it's just a list, maybe you have a clipboard with a list of like stuff to do in the house and that's on the wall somewhere or a box full of legos and coloring books and crayons i don't know
0: of a rainy day fund you can have it a rainy day yeah. fun
1: yeah like, like a drop, liquid drop sunshine box drop
0: the d Rainy day fun f-u-n
1: uh-huh. i'm with you really i missed you i missed the okay. where you were going uh. <laughs> let's keep moving
0: all right um all right so i hope that that uh helps um regarding summer um and uh and if you know in if your kid has gotten off on a, like their sleep schedule has changed, um, start thinking about uh, moving it back uh, about three weeks um, before school starts. Uh, Really like trying to maybe five or 10 minutes a day and just incrementally uh, making it earlier and earlier. Um, You know, one of the things that really can impact uh, ADHD is uh, inconsistent uh, sleep time. Um, So it's not because sleep is not just about how many hours we get. It's actually about like what time do we go to bed? What time do we wake up? Okay. What other questions do we have here? We have uh, one from Vijay in the Q&A. He asked her live. Um, (laughs) Sorry, bear with me for the long ended question. I'm trying to like skim to get the gist. Um, As a parent, when is appropriate time to reach out to the pediatrician for diagnosing my child for ADHD? I don't want to let my ADHD cloud my judgment by seeing ADHD symptoms when it may not be there. The reason I ask this is because I sent the Vanderbilt questionnaire, which is a a commonly used uh, ADHD rating scale, uh, the Vanderbilt questionnaire to my son's teacher. And he answered 90% of the questions as okay, Occasionally. Makes me wonder if my son uh, has any ADHD symptoms at all. Am I just being paranoid because I see some glaring behaviors at home his teachers is uh, just not seeing. Be um, a great, great question. I would say first, like trust your gut. Um, you know, often, uh, especially if your kid has more of the inattentive um, uh, features. It's not gonna. He's not gonna stand out in class because he's not gonna be so disruptive. He's, you know, that's that's why my ADHD wasn't caught until I was in college because I was just spaced out. Like I was not really disruptive. Well, I guess I was sometimes disruptive and sometimes did things. And
1: also that that detail about his glaring behaviors at home. That and and admittedly, there's the weekend, but my brain immediately goes to: Is he holding it together in school? Mm. And then there's nothing left when he gets home he can't hold it together anymore. Cause that's a, that's a common ADHD that is challenge such a com- as
0: well. I, um, like when we went to my son's uh, school meetings and we were you know talking about some of the, the challenging behaviors that we work with at home. And then they're we asked like, "Was well, he doing this? Is he doing that? Like they looked at me like I had four eyes, <laughs> like, like they had no you, idea you, you what do. I was talking about. I was like, Wait, are you kidding? He doesn't do any of this stuff at school like, ever. Yeah. He's like, no. So now that I'm sitting there in, you know, in the meeting and thinking, like, well, I just probably look a really bad parent. Here I am as the therapist and we're struggling with the stuff at home. And, no. um, and, and I think that's, it's, he holds it together.
1: And I think that's- Yeah, really that, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I've been on both sides of that table. I've been the, the teacher and the special ed guy and the guidance counselor listening to parents go, it, it, it's such a nightmare at home. How, how can he be okay at school? And then the deeper I got into ADHD, the more I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, that's a thing like that happens all the time. Like your kid is holding it together at school because they feel like they have to. And when they get home, they can't hold it together anymore. Yeah. At school, there's a lot more shame in sort of letting your ADHD flag right. fly. Well, it's not even just than that, there is more at shame
0: in showing uh, um, sort of unchecked Unexpected emotion. behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's that peer motivation as well. Right. I mean, I mean, even as adults, we are our worst around our parents, are we not? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. And now I feel really awkward. Um, it's like,
1: Brandon, I don't, like, I don't know to talk about. I'm good at the parents, I was the or- kid. I'm the kid who grew up with his parents' voice in his head. So like my life is very heavily guided by, would I want my parents to find out that I did this? If not, I'm just not going to do it. And I've been making those decisions like wow. that since middle school, probably. So now it's just automatic.
0: Wow, I um I cannot relate to that one bit. <laughs>
1: um, I want to answer, uh,
0: um, respond to. Uh, let's see, there was another question. Okay, um, Stephen asked. Yep, another um, diagnosis question. Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I was diagnosed a year ago at fifty-one and uh, noticed a lot of traits I had growing up. Showing uh, showing in my home schooled daughter. Uh, my wife feels I should not be discussing the ADHD subject because it might make my daughter take on the traits. My feeling is to keep an open mind and deal with this earlier instead of later like me. Uh, she, my wife, is uh, resistant uh, in getting... I'm sensing a theme of... Um, uh, finished. Finished, uh, thoughts. <laughs> um, so, Steve, really uh, great question. And by the way, congratulations on your diagnosis. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a good news diagnosis because ADHD is very, very manageable. And, you know, I think it's really important to, to say here that ADHD is one of the most heritable conditions that there is. And I will say that um, uh, unequivocally, talking to your kid about it is a good thing. Yeah, I I, can't, I don't yeah. have an exception to that. Because like, here's,
1: here's what happens. When you talk to your kid about having ADHD, you get to define the sandbox, and now you know what you're playing in. Because there's lots and lots of strategies that will never, ever work for someone with ADHD, and you can immediately eliminate all of those strategies and bring it in and be like, this is what's up. That said... You also don't want to get a divorce over it. Like You don't want to have a huge battle with your wife. So it's possible to take these ADHD strategies, apply them to his daughter, and then keep watching and also help help his wife get informed about what ADHD is, show her what he's seeing. And maybe you don't have the conversation with your daughter right now. Maybe you wait a year or six months or whatever so that you can collect more data and sort of get the wife on board. I don't know that you want to cause immediate contact right, and, and I would but do we, it
0: as a, as a team. Um, right. You know, I, I think that, um, uh, this couple of things. So, uh, I, and I often, um, you know, actually share talking to kids about their diagnoses is one of my actually favorite things to do as a clinician. Um, cause it, it's, here's the thing like kids will receive diagnoses and labels no matter what. Now, would you rather have the, the diagnosis or label ADHD yeah. Or would you rather have a diagnosis and label of lazy, stupid, unmotivated, not caring, um, or all the other labels right. that Jerk. are going to be assigned? Right. So get the accurate one, um, ADHD, and then the other concern that I often hear: well, then he'll use it as an excuse. And t- to that, I say you know what, every person has the human desire to be and feel understood. Right. And so when we can understand the, the nature of a challenge that, that we are experiencing, then we can begin to explore solutions around that challenge. Um, so it is the idea of using as an excuse, um, it's a common concern, but I think that that also be part of the conversation. Like, so when this comes up, when you, we recognize that the it was sort of getting in the way or to when you use one of the phrases that I that I definitely stole from you and it, it's caught on is when ADHD wins. Um, yep, sometimes the ADHD wins. Right. It's like and So is that using it as an excuse? It's like, no, it's, it's, it's acceptance. It's saying, you know what? I'm accepting that I have ADHD. I'm doing everything I can to work on it. And sometimes no matter what I try, like. ADHD is going to win sometimes. Yep. And that's I, okay. I, I think that we, we have to, we have to make space for learning. We have to make space for making mistakes and knowing that that's okay. Like learning and making mistakes really are just synonyms in my book.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree. And, and the most important part of that, sometimes the ADHD wins phrase that I use is the word sometimes right it's not all the time it just happens every now and then and as soon as you recognize that the ADHD is one it's a new battle you get to pick it up all over again and sometimes you lose the second time and that's also good because then you go all right usually i'd fix it once i realize what's going on i didn't fix it this time yeah so what's different why is it that i'm not able to fix it and that's usually when i realize things like i'm not sleeping right i haven't been getting enough healthy food into my body or whatever the nature may be. Usually it's a bigger lifestyle thing that's happening at in that moment. And that's why my ADHD is one more than one time in a row.
0: I'm right there with you. My, my ADHD has been waiting a bit lately as I'm uh, now two weeks out from moving. Um, yeah. I have a, uh, a lot on my plate and uh, I've had conversations in the last like week or two where um, like I was talking to someone in a good minute or two, minutes into the conversation I'll just pause the person and say I have no idea what you just said um like like I heard the words like I thought I was processing it but like I my mind just went somewhere else and you know and it's like I so I know that right now like moving is really stressful right um I know I have a lot on my plate at this moment um you know but so it's sort of acknowledging so where I'm at not making it as an excuse but but owning it at the same time and uh um, so I just think it's, it's important to acknowledge the, uh, you
1: need one of these.
0: So, so Brendan's showing the fidget spinner. Um, I personally don't get it. Like, so my, my son has two fidget spinners. Like, I don't get it. Like I have, um, it's, it's under my pile somewhere, I think, or on the floor. My son was in my office earlier today. Um, he did drop it on the floor and I'm, I'm like, I'll get that. And I'm just remembering it now. Hold on. So this is my probably one of my favorite fidgets. It's called the Tangle. Yep. So it's this rubber thing that like has these little like not like ball bearings but like it twists and turns like that to me is a fidget. Like the fidget spinner is a toy. Like
1: I don't know. Like so I'll tell you how I use it. Right. I one I have a fidget spinner and this is a, good for the people with audio, video audio not so much. Um, so he's a, he a black
0: been spinner with, with red rings
1: and he's holding it up. And so you can spin it in the middle. Yes. Not that exciting. But I can do this with it. So, so you're taking the, it not
0: from the middle, but from the end and
1: sort of Right. The, the like, edges also spin on mine. Mm-hmm. So I tend to do this with it. If sort I Sort of like the
0: mine. old like blackberries that have like the little ball in the middle and like you'd spin it around your fingers sort of. Yeah. That's what I used to do.
1: The other thing that I do with it, I can't get the right angle on it is I'll spin it on one finger and I'll hold it there while it's spinning. And it's a good check for my emotional state, because Mm -hmm. if I can't balance it on my finger, I'm not grounded. Okay, I had so I had not thought about it in that way. That's interesting. It's like advanced fidget spinning. So. (laughs) (laughs) So I do that. And if I'm like, if I'm not sure, I'll do it lefty. Right. Because if I can't do it lefty, then I'm like I'm, I'm right handed. So if I can do it righty, and I still feel like I'm not sure, I'll spin it lefty. And if I can balance it on my left hand, I'm doing okay. Well,
0: it's, it's really, it's if really I can't, interesting. I had not thought about, uh, about that. That's um, what um, one of the things that I, I uh, do with my son and I've done with, with a number of my, uh, my kid clients um, is so there's this idea that that anger is not compatible with a lot of other emotions. Like anger and and or a lot of other sort of cognitive processes, anger and math is not mm-hmm. compatible uh, with each other. Although for me, math just makes me angry. Um, but so doing something like my 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 son is is highly gifted, so his math abilities have already surpassed mine. Um, he's five and a half. Um, wow! And so I'll like you know they'll say you know have you know count to ten. It's like okay for my son, I'll have to count to ten by one point two fives. Wow! So he has to sort of think through it, and it's like, and you can sort of like see like the 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 battle between anger and thinking, Um, and Mm -hmm. and if I catch it early enough, the the uh, the thinking
1: often wins, right? And related to that, anxiety and lots of cognitive processes also don't match, right? And often excitement and lots of because anxiety and excitement are not that far apart. That's right. Physiologically, they're also right, almost identical. Yeah. So there, those, uh, there's plenty, it's anger, excitement, and and anxiety are really the most glaring, but there's plenty of emotions that don't match well with your cognitive processes. And both anxiety and excitement can be measured by fidget spinning.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: And I just, if I drop it, then I'm like, all right, I got to do some breathing. I got to kind of ground myself. How am I standing and do that mindfulness body check?
0: Hmm. This sort of uh, answers one um, of uh, Marisol's questions about strategies for like uh, strategies for my eight-year-old daughter with impulse control during angry outbursts. Mm-hmm. So um, we just we just shared some of them. Now what I'm gonna sh- what I'm gonna say now like isn't always helpful, but it's the idea is you want to try to catch it before it's like tip the scale because um, once like once your kids like hit a certain point, and it was for 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 my son, um, it's just time. you mm-hmm. know, and, and disengaging. like it's really like sometimes with, with kids who can be combative when they're angry, like the best thing you can do as a parent is stop talking. Like avoid eye contact, stop talking, be there to support them. But, like, try to look away so you're not, because as soon as we have eye contact, when especially if you're already angry, now that, like, fight or flight response uh, right. kicks in. Um, you know, just give time. Don't take anything personally. Um, you know this idea that of, of Google Translator? Like, insert your kid's name here. And, you know, it's like, uh, for me, Gibson Translator. Or it's like, when he's saying stuff, when he's really angry, um, I just translate all of that to, I'm feeling angry. I am feeling angry. right you know it's like your kid says I hate you I want to die you want you to die just I, I am feeling angry just just because that's really yep. what they're saying because you, your kids don't hate you um, and so it, it's soon when you don't what if you do take that personally and sort of call them out on it in the moment all you're doing is stimulating their brain more which is right what the ADHD brain that what really the core of that challenge is is we have an understimulated brain, which is why we use mm-hmm. stimulants to treat yeah. ADHD.
1: Um, and then sort of three thoughts and I'll go through them as quickly the as I can. Get to- yeah. Yeah. We're good. Don't worry. And now that I said that I'm going to leave the last one because <laughs> the last one is the first one I thought. So we're going in backwards. backwards. Um, one is because I do this with my son, right? And it, for our family, is more ang- anxiety than anger, but mm-hmm. But I name the emotion, right? I don't just think in my head you're feeling anxious. I say to them, like, you sound like you're feeling yeah. kind of nervous, but you sound like you're feeling anxious. You're saying, sound like you're feeling angry or sad or whatever. So that they then recognize what that emotion is and it gives them some measure of control over it because now it has a name and they can kind of do a little, little something with it. Another strategy with my kid, um, and this is particularly true with Gavin, Nate, not as much, doesn't need it as much, um, but I just repeat back to them what they said, right? I'll just say, like, all right, so. You really want to, like, break everything in your school with a stick and you wish you could bring a stick to school. I I hear you. And they're like, yeah, because I just want to da-da-da. And I just keep repeating back to them what they said. And it's amazing how quickly that de-escalates them. It's ridiculous. It
0: is one of those skills that, like, you, you read about it in, like, a, a book or in a, an article. And you're like,
1: yeah, like, that's really going to work.
0: T- try it. Because it really does. It really Because yeah. what that does is it... it it makes that person, it makes your child feel seen and heard, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that is such a, a, you know, the idea of, of we are all worthy of love and belonging. Like just saying back to, to your child, what they just said to you makes them feel loved, makes them feel like they belong because you're hearing them and you're seeing them.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, it, it doesn't have to just be when they're mad or upset. It can be just in general, right? Like, it's a really good, I don't know what he just said, but I know he said something and I caught the last three words. And so last three words, I hope this goes somewhere good, so, <laughs> but it's pretty effective
0: that way too. So saying back to them uh, what they had said, right. that was one thing.
1: That was the second one. The first one was um, validating the emotion, just naming the emotion. The second one was saying back to them what like they're to saying it to you.
0: Living out loud, sort of just narrating the experience from an
1: objective sort of position. Mm-hmm and then the last one is the the nonverbals, right? Paying attention to your nonverbals because and and particularly body language, right? When your kid gets upset, our bodies respond to that, right? Mm-hmm. And so if they're really angry, our body language might spell anger as well or might spell submission depending and that increases the anger. That encourages it to continue. So instead, shifting your body language to a more passive but still stable and strong position that's sort of accepting but not allowing itself to be moved can be really useful. And that's just like plant your feet, get your spine straight, you know, don't spread your arms, just let them hang down loose. But okay, usually you want your base solid and everything from the waist up a little more loosey goosey, not awful, but like a little more relaxed. Because that's how you get this both stability and acceptance at the same time.
0: And I want to, um, you know, uh, emphasize too that this stuff's hard. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a therapist, and my son has has, you know, challenging behaviors that you know sometimes makes me feel overwhelmed, right? Like it's so it's, and I don't always handle it the way I, that I you know like to handle it mm-hmm. um you know sometimes I do, you just walk away and sometimes that's the best thing to do if, if you like when i'm sensing that like okay i'm about to like not do something i'm going to be proud of i'm going to you know it's like i can mm-hmm. just feel my my body getting tense like i'll just i'll say you know when you're when you're ready to talk let me know and i'll right. you know and i think that like when because we are all dumb when we're mad right we are mm-hmm. all like we say stupid things we we really aren't capable of higher level reasoning when we are truly angry right so if you recognize that anger one of the most important things you can do is make sure your kid's safe and you know remove yourself from the situation
1: right yeah and and exactly what you said it's hard right like i mean we're we do this stuff for a living and we're not we're not perfect at it you know like we're trained in this with master's degrees and stuff and we're not doing it right not all the time right we're doing it right probably more but not all the time and and our emotions dictate our kids responses too right like just like their responses dictate our their emotions dictate our responses if i've had a bad day and i come in and i'm cranky then my kid is more likely to be cranky later right and i'm now i'm going to have more of difficulty managing that because i've managed to throw them off and at the same time if they've had a bad day and they're cranky and that affects me now we're Either way, we're still in the same cycle, and, I think and you of, have to be able to know that. And sometimes you're going to lose that fight, and that's okay. And I think that this is true for our, our, ourselves and, and all kinds of situations.
0: But I think too, as as parents, expectation management is also a really sort of um, important piece to this. You know, so if uh, you know, let's say you're you're in your family, you're um, have a certain expectation of, say, there's there's no TV from you know this to this time. Like that's just a, a like, let's say you're having like one of those like worst days ever. And like, you just want to scream and explode, like having an exception to that rule on a rare occasion, I would, I would endorse that method. Right. Yep. Like, cause it's like, I, if the rule is you're engaging with your kids from this to this time and you like are completely stressed out and are going to snap, like engaging with your kid is not going to be a good
1: idea. Right. Right. Or, um, and maybe you, maybe you break the rule by saying, all right, after like we have a rule in our house after six o'clock we don't watch television Mm -hmm. unless it's a weekend but like during the week we don't watch tv after six no screens at all but if i'm having a really bad day and i just it's not going to be the a deal where i'm going to go run around in the yard with my kids today it's just not going to happen but i can handle sitting on the couch and watching an episode of star wars rebels and that's going to help because i know one of them is going to sit on me and that's going to anchor me more and calm me down Then we're gonna watch an episode of Star Wars Rebels. I haven't thought about that, Ryan, but I I I do that. um, I
0: don't think I necessarily recognize that that I do that because when I decide to turn the TV on, I I will watch it with him, and then we're engaged, and then it's like, oh wait, I was I was upset about something. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, what, what other questions do we have? Let's see if we can sort of hand do this as a lightning round. Uh. Video games and TV being called out as the cause of ADHD. Nope. Is that fair enough? to
1: (laughs) That it's not a cause of ADHD? Yeah.
0: Can can video, like, yes, doing anything for prolonged periods of time rewires our brain, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's neuroplasticity. So if you're engaging in something... Uh, at a high regularity and intensity that is highly stimulating Um, it's going to impact brain functioning but Mm -hmm. that's not ADHD even if it it may begin to present ADHD like symptoms that's not ADHD right Um, that said
1: there are studies coming out around emotional regulation and like iPads and mm -hmm. phones and stuff and so if you have ADHD and you already have challenges regulating your emotions, yes. and we know that these devices impact neurotypical people that make it harder for them to regulate yes. their emotions, it's not causing ADHD, but it's exacerbating it.
0: Excellent point. Absolutely. I, I, would, I would absolutely agree. I, I, I think that in the next few years, we're going to see a lot more uh, of, our, of our technologies that have built in features allowing for self-regulation. Um I, I think that there I think there's a, a demand for it. Um and mm-hmm. I, I hope that the technology companies will begin to to see that pe- that like I would pay more money to be able to not have to to deal with my self-control. Like like talk about like Netflix. Like please do not just serve me in the next episode. Right. Mm-hmm. I only want to watch one episode <laughs> of House of Cards, not five episodes right. of House of Cards. Right. Well,
1: and they're already doing that with the the latest iPhone has got a, a if you're if it's plugged in and your car is moving it won't let it won't accept text messages or mm. like Facebook messages and stuff. And there's a way to sort of circumvent it for passengers, but mm. but that so that's already happening.
0: Yeah, so uh,
1: way uh, to be right. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: um let's see uh for someone just starting to learn how to deal with ADHD Besides just medicating, um, where would be a good place to start? Education is the best place to start. Learn as much as you can uh, from credible sources. There's there's snake oil out there on the internet, and there's there are things out there that are that are not um, evidence based. Um, You know, and and you know, on this podcast, I always try to present information that is evidence based. Anything that is outside of that. I try to specify um that you know we we don't know if this is evidence based. Um Mm -hmm. you know organizations like Chad is a really good uh, place to start. Um uh
1: do you have any resources for places to start? I do. I have my go to book that I recommend to everybody. Adults or kids, I don't care. It's called The Survival Guide for Kids with ADHD. It's it's just a primer, like it's a really easy to read, highly accessible book. I give it to parents, I give it to kids, or I don't give it to them, I give the name. I don't have an investment in the book or anything. Um, but it's, it's, it's a red book, it's super handy, because it's so easy to access, it's so easy to read. It, and I, I'm a big fan of if you're gonna research something, start with the kids stuff, because it's easier to understand, and then pick up the really complicated stuff later. Like once you get a foundation built, so this is a good place to start with a foundation.
0: Um, okay, let's see. Um, would have been good to mark the questions that we uh, answered with the one that we put on the Google Doc. Um, oh, yeah. I think we did that. Uh, let see. How can you get your teenage son with ADHD to understand the importance of taking medication? Okay, I really like this question because the research uh, um, has some very interesting things to say about this topic. Um, so... There's um, so one you can't you, I would encourage you to not force your teen to take medication if they don't want to. The first thing I would want to do, though, is find out why does your your teen not want to take the medication? Um, you know, often they are experiencing side effects and. When they're experiencing side effects, and but the parent doesn't mind the side effects because they're more enjoyable to be around, the kid immediately is going to feel like not heard or validated. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there are side effects the kid is not, uh, your teen is not liking, go back to the doctor. There's a lot of different medications um, that, uh, um, that can be helpful. And I, I, you know, the only primary side effect that I sort of tolerate is dry mouth because water sort of works for mm-hmm. that.
1: Um, there's also a uh, there's a not very often discussed side effect of being a teenager with ADHD and medication that needs to be mentioned, and that other teenagers who want your ADHD medication.
0: Hold that thought. I want to get. I want to get to that. Um, okay. But but what the, one of the um, what uh, I forget which group did this, but it was in uh, about a year or two ago in the Journal of Attention Disorders. Uh, there was a study that that uh, showed that uh, parents who did not sort of force their teen to make to take the medication, um, those teens when they were in their um, uh, early to mid-20s were significantly more likely to go back on their medication um, when they sort of recognized that they, they needed it compared to when the teens who were sort of pushed on it and didn't really feel that they had a, a choice on it were uh, profoundly less likely to go back on it because um, it, it was sort of a this, uh, this, you know, kind of carryover from from adolescence of, oh, my parents wanted me to be on that and I didn't want to. And it's, um, you know, even though this thing could really help me, I'm not going to do it because of this belief that I now have around medication. Um, and it's it's a really hard decision. I think it has to be to, to, to make that decision as a parent. So you have to think about, all right, the research is if I push it, even like he doesn't want it, like those are less likely they're, they're going to actually uh, do this as an adult. You know, but it's if you look at the the risks and dangers, um, you know, depending on what's going on with uh, with your your kid of not being on it, um, it's it's a tough call. But I think having a real conversation, finding out why, um, do, setting up some experiments, you know, saying all right, let's ev- let's evaluate, you know, you know, these say three things and see how we're doing in a couple of weeks and to To revisit it, so it's not just like a, a yes or no decision. It's a process, and he and that your teen is highly involved uh, in in that process. Um, now, Brent, to your point about about medication diversion, um, do you want to do you want to talk about that?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a hard it's a hard scenario, right? Like it, you've got. I mean, there's kids in high school who are like, I know that Timmy has ADHD. And I know Timmy's on meds and I'm going to try to convince Timmy through whatever method I want to use to get him to bring in his medication. Like, well, what if you just don't take it and then you give it to me, like sell it to me? I'll give it. I'll give you 50 bucks a pill or whatever. Um, Some and lots of kids are not comfortable with that and just want to avoid it. So if I don't take medication, I don't have to deal with that. And it doesn't, I'm not saying this happens all the time. It's not like every kid with ADHD is being harassed to sell their medication to someone or bullied into giving it to them. But it is a scenario that might be hiding somewhere Mm -hmm. in medication resistance. And it's just not a question that most people think to ask. Mm. But it's, and it's not a question that's easy to ask. And it's not a question that's likely to be answered honestly, depending on the relationship that exists. But it's a question that you kind of have to figure out what to do with. When I'm um, talking
0: with uh, with with uh, teens uh, and and college students, um, when I I um, really emphatically uh, um, tell them to, like don't let people know that you are on this medication, mm-hmm. and I explain why. Say so um, you know I say I have ADHD and I take medication that really helps my ADHD. So, but because of medication diversion, the government uh, has made it really hard for me to get my medication. So I need to do all this planning, uh, time management, uh, sequencing, uh, remembering to, to make that appointment at the right time, um, you know, n- not losing the information or the, the, pres- the uh, prescription. So all the reasons that I need the medication, like is now all the barriers are in place for me to get that medication. So it's be a big part of that is because of medication diversion. Right. right, and so the the kids who thinks it's not a big deal to sort of sell their their uh, their meds um, during finals and stuff like that, um, uh, it really is a big deal. So um, so I'm not saying that uh, that there's needs to be shame and hiding that you're on medication, but one you're in college, um, that needs to not be something that you share uh, at, at all, um, and, and keep it locked. Um, because it will get stolen like it's mm-hmm. it's it, so it's um, and that could be disastrous if you are really dependent on your medication on a college campus. If it gets stolen, no one's going to believe you if you say your medication gets stolen. Right. Right. Um, so that's a really important sort of uh, piece to this. But but all that being said, don't if you're a parent um, and you're afraid of medication for your kid, learn what the science says medication stimulant medication is safe and effective when used and prescribed as directed it it is it is effective for 70 to up to 90 percent of those who who take it doesn't mean it 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 manages all symptoms because it it doesn't um but it can be such a game changer i know for me i wouldn't be here right now having this conversation with you uh if i didn't have medication i mean it was i look at, at and when I was diagnosed, I started taking Adderall when I was uh, 19. Like there was pre-AD, pre-Adderall, and uh, and post 8 Adderall. So it's like mm-hmm. I look at it was I it was a, I had a new lease on life. Um, so don't let fear about the medication that the what what Ari Tuckman refers to was the psychology of psychiatry. Uh, don't right. let that sort of hold you back uh, from trying medication. And it's it's a trial of medication and and. You know, it doesn't always work on the first medication. So be willing to to try a couple different doses and a couple of different medications um, before determining with your doctor um, whether or not it's a good fit uh, or not. And I would totally just as aware that I said, let's do a quick lightning round. And then I went into some long winded answer. <laughs> this is ADHD rewired. It oh, and we're at an hour and 23 minutes. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that we should uh, wrap this up. Um, cool. oh, Brandon, wh- one of the things that we uh, did not, we have not mentioned yet is uh, this, uh, this conversation that you and I have been having um, uh, offline um, about this idea that we have. Do you think we should talk about that idea here? Sure. Um, sure. Sure. So this this can be this might be an origin story you know <laughs> by the way so do you know how um when i started uh the the coaching and accountability groups do you know like how the the impetus of that the the, the grand plan behind that no there wasn't like i no grand I, plan. I was i it just sort of came to me on a whim and i left it in the recording and then like for eight weeks i think i kept saying i'll have more information about this next week Okay. Weeks in a row, um, <laughs> and that was sort of the the uh, the origin of how the groups started. Um, okay. I was just sort of talking about like the the desire for like a, a, an intensive coaching sort of experience because I uh, I know that the importance of frequency. You know, it's because as a I think I was either seeing a therapist or a coach at the time, and you know, I would seeing them once a week. And it's like, when do I do the homework for for my um, coaching? Like twenty minutes before my next appointment. Right. 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 And it's like. So I was thinking, all right, what would I want to, to help me really bridge my good intentions into amazing actions? And it's something that would be much more frequent. Um, and so that's for the origin story. So, um, you know, Brendan and I do not have uh, anywhere close to all the details of this figured out. We are sort of still in brainstorming mode. But what we want to hear from you guys is, um, is there an interest in this? If um, So what, what we're thinking about um, is that... Uh, so, so when, uh, a while back, I, I tapped on Brendan and said, hey, um, I'm looking to grow ADHD Rewired. And I love a lot of the things that you have uh, sort of talked about and the analogies that you use. And storytelling is really a, uh, an important part of ADHD Rewired because I think that, that uh, storytelling helps us really understand what we're really working with. Um, and I just really appreciated how Brendan sort of communicated uh, uh, um, the various things. Things around ADHD, um, so I have been sort of poking you for I don't know, like a while. Yeah, look, well, let's go with a while because I have no concept of time, right? And I'm like, we should <laughs> we should do something together, and you're like, I I'm working in schools, I can't. Yeah. I, and um, and so, by the way, um, I just have to say your timing for for being like ready to do this like it couldn't be worse.
1: Like I'm moving, I'm like it's okay, you know. So I'm like, and, you know, and I don't I'm, need to rush. I I understand how <laughs> that happened, and I've been trying to be chill about it. So, um, Brendan, what did what did your wife get you for uh, for Christmas this past year? She got me podcasting gear. Right. How many episodes have you created? none right so because i immediately started a new job <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so here's sort of the the grand plan and this none of this may happen all of this may happen somewhere in between this may happen um brendan's gonna start a podcast did that make your stomach turn when i just said that by the way no no not, not even
1: a little bit no yeah excited or is it just like facts? It's just like it. just like a fact. Yeah, it's more like a, yeah, that's a thing. All right, we'll talk on that later. Um, <laughs> I have that approach to lots of stuff once okay. I make a decision. Okay, you're very kind uh, of how I uh,
0: roll. Even, um, yeah, which is a
1: good thing. Um,
0: so, as I've been mentioning, um, as I mentioned before, you know, I, I'm not going to. Uh, here in ADHD Rewired, we're not going to start like um, embedding kids as part of ADHD Rewired. It's, it's going to um, primarily focus on adults. and we will continue uh, to do that. But I know, um, you know, that for those of us who are parents, you know, statistically speaking, most of us have kids with, with that are somewhere there with ADHD. Right. Um, so the idea of this of doing a coaching group of of some sort. Um, really focusing just on parenting. Right. Um, so Brendan, why don't you talk a little bit about sort of some of your ideas? And again, right now we, we are
1: brainstorming out loud live. Yeah. Well, then the notion is like, as we've talked about it, it's sort of become parenting with ADHD, right? Parenting ADHD with ADHD. So kids got ADHD. The parents got ADHD. That seems like a recipe for disaster. How do we avoid disaster? Um, and so the concept behind it is to, to get, one, to get the education out there, because you have to understand ADHD if you want to manage it. Um, so a component of, of this group would be, what is ADHD? How does it work? What, what's the role of dopamine in ADHD? What is this executive function stuff people keep mentioning but never explaining, right? Like that kind of thing. Um, and then married to that are skills and strategies that work in terms of parenting, among them are that take a picture of your kid's bedroom strategy I shared, right? Like that'll be something that we'll talk about and we'll go, go over how is, how are you going to do that? How is it working? Is it not working? What's what can we do instead if it isn't working, if it is working great, let's not worry about it then let's move on. Um, and then also the side of it that is self care, right? That, that oxygen mask that you mentioned, what do you need to be doing to take care of yourself so that you can then take care of your kid? Um, So the the vision in my head at the moment is sort of like three days a week, right? One day aimed at a core ADHD concept about ADHD itself. The next day, a strategy or skill set or a common problem and what solutions can we do to address that? And then the third day being self-care, right? Like what are we going to do to help take care of ourselves? Best case scenario, there'll be a theme that unites all three of those in each week, I haven't nailed all of them as thematically connected yet. So I have like six of them, I think, that are thematically tied. Um, but that—that's sort of the framework, at least, that I'm working with right now. So, using some of that, the uh, um, sort of the educational
0: piece around ADHD, which is so so important. This ADHD is a disorder that the more you learn about it, the the more it helps you manage the disorder. Right. The accountability piece uh to it so so um having uh like stating a a if a if as a parent say all right i'm gonna set up this uh the star chart and then um that's on a monday and wednesday or friday of that of that session being able to show look at the star chart that i created right um or being able to get support if you haven't created it um and one of the really powerful things about think mean, being within a group of other people with ADHD is that if you don't do the thing that you said you were going to do, like there's no shame in there at all. Right. There's support. There's yep. right, how, how can we help you? Like what's maybe you haven't thought about how to break it down uh, uh, enough. Um, so if this is something, uh, so both them I'm speaking to everyone here live at this moment, uh, both on Facebook um, and, and here on zoom, um, Put in the comments if this is something that you're interested in, um, for this episode, uh, which is can I pull my calendar up fast enough to be able to tell you what episode this would be? So, uh, um, 170. That is not a question I can answer. I think uh, it will be. This will be episode 176. Um, uh, so if you go to erictevers dot com slash um, 176. In the comments there on, on the uh, website, so if you're listening to this as all the podcast listeners, um, let us know you're interested. Uh, make comments. Or, you know, Brian, I think that you and I should probably also create a, uh, a survey uh, around this. Um, sure. Because I just to really find out what all the core sort of uh, um, uh, struggles that, uh, that. Right. Yeah. Are what are the problems that we need to solve? That's right. It's sort of, you know, practicing what we preach. Don't just solve the right. problems that we don't even know if, if it's a problem or not. Right. 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 um so um we'll probably have more information about this um what we say like mid-ish july earliest i'm guessing
1: yeah that sounds right
0: okay all right so i love we have accountability because like this is live this is being recorded um you were going to say uh what, we
1: have a question about what the link is, so I'm calling it up. Okay. Because I don't have it up right now. All right. So it was um it, so it's it's not
0: live yet. Um it's uh uh erictivers.com uh slash one seventy six. So so that's for the podcast listener. So when they so this is to everybody in the future when you hear this, that's what the episode will be. Um sorry who to say I know that probably like hurt your brain. I know it hurt mine. Um I will. Um, uh, let's see. I haven't thought this through uh, enough yet on how to get people to, to sort of respond, but I know there are a couple of people in the chat that they are definitely interested. Um, so I uh, I'm excited about this, and this will be something that is led by Brendan. Um, you know, and, and right. uh, you know he, Brendan is besides being a a fun friendly person, <sighs> he's highly qualified uh, to do this. Don't do two master's degrees. I
1: do, yeah. I have one in education and one in school counseling.
0: I think that makes you qualified.
1: Yeah, and you have never have two your master's degrees. And I have ADHD and been doing it long enough with the <laughs> trainings and the coaching and all that stuff. Awesome. Well, uh, we
0: will. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to working with you uh, on this, Brendan. Thank you uh, so much for uh, co-hosting uh, this. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, awesome. You know, we do this every second Tuesday of the month. Um, so, uh, definitely, uh, just go to erictivers.com slash events to register for the next, uh, Q and A, um, for uh, everyone who's here live, the next one isn't posted yet, but it will be for all the podcast listeners when it is, uh, when this is
1: released. Um, Brendan, any, uh, final thoughts from you? Um, actually, yeah, this is going to sound obnoxious and I don't mean it that way, but one of the biggest challenges that I find parents with ADHD have is that they yell too quick right and it's hard because you get frustrated and i understand that but don't yell because once you yell there's nowhere left to go right unless you're willing to hit your kid and that's not a thing that i'd even want to entertain as a thought so when when you start below that below the yelling you're giving yourself room to escalate and that's the way that i want people to think about in terms of why to not yell because lots of parents are like why not yell it works yeah, but there's stuff before that could, that could also work. Mm-hmm. So start earlier, start at a lower tier and move up. That's my thing. Can I give you a little, uh, I
0: share a little, i call it an, a ninja strategy to get your kid to pay attention when Touch you them. are praising them, use their name. Yep. Don't use their name when you're sort of calling them out and giving them negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. then when you need their attention, they're gonna over time associate their name with something possibly good coming next. Right, little that's little cool. That's you're great about too. To ask
1: them to clean their room. Whoa. Yeah, and and another ninja one is just touch them. Just put yeah. your hand on their shoulder and then go, Hey, can you clean your room? Because that physical contact cuts through all the other senses.
0: Very, very true. And don't try to give a direction when they're playing a video game or watching TV. Right, because um, you might as well talk to a wall.
1: It'll be a body absolutely. Narrative. Yep.
0: Yep. All right. So, yeah. Well, the thank end. you, Brendan um. and Mahan. Um, this has been been fun. Uh, thank you, everyone who submitted questions, um, and have who, who joined us in the live Q and A. Uh, and hey, you know what? We went we went long, but that's okay. Um, All right. The the network doesn't down, mind. Right? Yeah, <laughs> editing, editing, <laughs> You know, it's it's whatever. Um, I cool. Th- this, I think I hope this was helpful for everyone. And you know, um, starting is the hardest part. Finishing is also the hardest part. I know you can't have the hardest part, but it's my rules in my podcast. So there you go. (laughs) So um, thank you, everyone. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. And we'll uh, see you next month. All right. Thank you. This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. Learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content that you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. Support ADHD Rewired and help replenish our coaching group scholarship fund by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. Different levels of support get different perks. You can give just a buck or three or five bucks a month or more. Every little bit helps. And it's an awesome way for you to let me know that you value this show. The community, and everything else we do. That's patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tivers. Subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube to see select interviews and other videos I've made. The ADHD Rewired community is now a secret group on Facebook. So that's one less reason to not just be a passive listener, but to be an active member of our community. Fill out our short screening form at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We screen everyone before they join. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities or on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Quora, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends, your family, your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone or even do it for them. And if you really love this episode, please hit share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things you really can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on the Apple podcast app or on Stitcher or any other podcast app that supports and accepts ratings and reviews. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash Rewired. Need some ideas on where to start other than Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability? Then I would recommend The One Thing by Gary Keeler. Oh, and if you by any chance know Brene Brown, please let her know how grateful I am for all of her work and what she means to me and the ADHD community, and that she's welcome on my show anytime. And in the one in like seven billion chance that Brene you're listening, please come and be a guest. Thanks. <laughs> this is Eric Tivers reminding you keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. And no matter how hard it all feels, Remember, we can do hard things.
1: Until next time.